1: Hello, everyone, and welcome to Let's Talk Torah. I am Rabbi Tsvi Jacobson with New Radio Media, and we'll spend the next hour talking Torah, learning stuff, and having fun while we learn. If you'd like to contact the show, you can call us at 844 999 9249. That's 844 999 9249. Or you can email us at Let's Talk Torah, no apostrophes, letstalktorah at gmail.com. So I've, uh, I've been away, even though we had a pre tape last week, you didn't know it was pre taped. But um, I've been actually away for about a week and a half. Uh, vacation, we'll talk about vacation. And I got an early start because uh, I had a granddaughter. See, isn't that nice? Ben is always ready. With our cementov Mazel Tov. So, yes, I had a granddaughter. Very cute. I didn't hold her. My wife did. You now, they're little. You'll find out. Yeah, you'll find out, Ben. Anyways, they're little. So, we went in. We were in the... Um, we were in the um, uh, Lancaster area. We were in the New Jersey area. Um, all kinds of interesting things uh, that were taking place. Uh, we'll start with one at the beginning. Um, the... On the way to Lancaster, we stopped outside of Pittsburgh. So um, there's synagogues almost everywhere. So it happens to be that the synagogue we stopped in, well, where, where I prayed in the morning, um, was where my mother and grandmother actually grew up. That wasn't exactly the same synagogue. What happened was, whatever it was, 80 years ago, 90 years ago, whenever that synagogue started... Um, it was in a different location, and they had built a new building. They moved, but they brought, like, the pews and the ark and stuff. And in the weekday room, that's all set up. It was very beautiful. So, Tony, you with me? You got that first plaque up? So you got to look at this plaque. I-, I don't know if you actually realize what this plaque is. Um, the plaque that's either taken over my whole screen or that's right behind me is the donations that people gave to build the building. So if you look carefully at that beautiful marble plaque, which they transported from the earlier synagogue to the new one, you'll see most of the donors are in the $100 range. It would cost you more money to carve in the person's name nowadays in that piece of marble. And I think there's a high donor there at about 300 Nowadays, you walk into a synagogue, no one's name is up on a donation plaque for $100. If you're building the synagogue, you're giving hundreds of thousands. So it's just interesting. I saw it. I, I like said, wow, like 100 years ago, these were considered massive donations. And nowadays, we laugh at them. I mean, we don't laugh. We're very appreciative of all donations. But I just thought it was something pretty cool. So um, we'll talk about my vacation, we'll talk about some other things I did, lots of topics today. Um, we'll talk about unveilings. I was by my father's unveiling this week, last week. Um, Roshana, kings, prophets, judges, witnesses, trending news, of course, Rabbi Jonas and Goldson, his two-minute thought. Of course, our letter and word of the week. So, um, so let's uh, different things happened during the vacation. Um, it was really fantastic. Um, first we went to this place, Dutch Wonderland. It's like a, an amusement park, but for smaller children or younger children. Like my 11 year old daughter really was uh, at the cutoff line, but it was great. People are friendly. It was hot. Like anything. That's going to be a word for a word of the week later. Um, hot, like anything. I was on the East coast in the nineties, humid, but everybody was great drinking water like I'm drinking now. Kids had a blast. We went, I don't know if you ever did this, Ben. You know, by these water shows, they have a lot of diving shows. Yeah. So they warn you, if you sit in the first couple rows, you're going to get wet. Yes. We were so hot. Right. We sat right up front. Oh. Oh, We got drenched. It was fantastic. I don't care, you're walking around in your pants and whatever, soaking wet, but it dries pretty quick. Fantastic. Like, these guys, like, they jump in and they, I don't know how they hit the water and splash you. I thought the guy was going to hit the wall. But it was just good to be with the kids. I was by a brother-in-law and sister-in-law. They um, have a pool in their backyard every morning, out by the pool. Kids swim for a couple hours. It was a good, relaxing vacation. So on Sunday, again, one of the reasons this was the time period that we, uh, we chose to go in was my father's unveiling. So my mother wanted a lot of friends and family. It was a very, very beautiful event. It was, it was done properly. It was done with, uh, with the proper honor. It was, it was very nice. It was well done. So interesting enough, the rabbi leading the ceremony said something very fascinating. He said, there is no official... Ceremony. It's not like a holiday like Passover where there's the ceremonies or Rosh Hashanah with a chauffeur. It's not that kind of day where there's an official ceremony. People say psalms. Some, sometimes they talk about the person who passed away. But he did say that there's a, an interesting reason why we care about the unveiling. He said the reason we care is because the soul has it has a place to focus. The soul is more settled is really a very good word. In other words, when a person dies, his soul separates from the body, and the more holy rights the person is, the smoother the separation, um, the less holy, the more physical the person is, the more traumatic that separation is. So the soul departs the body and is in tremendous confusion. That's why um, by Jewish people especially, we, uh, we don't want to do autopsies. We don't want to do anything that would embarrass the body because the soul has no other focus. He knows what's going on, but that's his focus. If he sees his body being treated um, in just an improper, not nice way, so it hurts. He sees what's going on. That's why um, by uh, Orthodox Jews, they try to make the burials almost immediately. If you're in Jerusalem, they'll do it that night. In other words, you'll have funerals 2 o'clock in the morning. They don't care. They want the bodies buried immediately. And then the body will decompose, and the soul is going through a process of getting used to being a soul. I guess there's what to get used to. Um, the goal is we're all supposed to find out. That is the goal, by the way. Um, in any case, when the, when the tombstone um, is placed, and the, the however they do it, the slab, the marble, the stones, whatever... It seems the soul, because the body's been decomposing, um, the soul now has a very good place to focus, and it's very calming for the soul, and therefore people make, uh, they, they do something to, I don't want to say celebrate, but to, uh, but to take care of that day. So that's one of the things we took care of. So, uh, okay, talk about people who die. Um, I don't know if it was my sister or brother-in-law, just sent me a fascinating story. Uh, so you got you to gotta, you gotta follow this story, Ben. Mm-hmm. So um, there was a family, and their mother was up in a nursing home somewhere. It doesn't sound like they visited that often, but they visited often Mm -hmm. enough. And they get a call from the nursing home. We're very, very sorry. Um, Your mother passed away. And the family says, really? Was she sick? We didn't know. Well, you know, these things happen. She was an older woman. Um, We'll get everything ready. We'll get everything into the casket. We'll send it to wherever your funeral home is so you can go ahead with the burial. So they said, okay, thank you very much. They, um, they go through the whole funeral, and hundreds of people are there. She was a well-known woman, and uh, she's buried. And as we've talked way in the past, that uh, the week after the burial, the family will basically sit on the floor, or on low chairs, people will come to visit. And they get a call, day five, into what we call sitting shiva. And uh, it's their mother, and the mother says, uh, how is everyone? What's doing? And they say, Ma, you can't be talking to us now. You, you, we, just, we just had your funeral. We're sitting shiva for you. Well, I don't see why you're sitting shiva for me. I'm, I, I'm, I'm alive and well. So, of course, they immediately call up the nursing home and said, you told us you sent us our mother in that casket, and clearly it wasn't our mother because our mother is alive and well. So the nursing home said, oh, this is very embarrassing. We're going to have to see if your mother's really dead or not. We have a problem here. So they they went and checked, and sure enough, they made a mistake. So now the nursing home has to call the real family of this person who passed away and tell them not only did your mother die, um, but she was buried already. That's an awkward phone call. Awkward phone call. Well, listen to what happens. So they call up the family, and they say... We're very sorry. Your mother passed away. Oh, okay. You know, it seemed they didn't, weren't so concerned. Um, we're really very sorry. There was a mistake, and your mother was buried. Silence on the other side of the phone. And the son of this l- lady who really did pass away says, can't be. So the nursing home says, we're really very sorry. We made a mistake. We, we called the wrong family, and she was buried. Can't be she was buried. She's not supposed to be buried. What, what are you talking about? So the son says to the nursing home director, he says, you don't understand. Um, We're not so close to my mother. She was a religious lady. We're not religious people. We told our mother, and she doesn't have money, that a burial is very expensive. We are going to cremate her. And our mother said to us, you can't cremate me. I'm an orthodox woman. Cremation is terrible. I'm going to be buried. So the son said, my, you won't be here to make sure you're buried. And you don't have money. So the mother says, I'm going to pray to God. So the kid says, you could pray to God all day long. We are in charge. And since we're in charge, you're getting cremated. So the son says, the joke's on us. We thought we were in control. Turns out our mother prayed. God said, the kids are worthless. I'll bury <laughs> her myself. So that is really, that story was sent to me either, well, you know how these whatsapp pages work. I know my sister my brother in law but on their on their name that came up okay so that's just a, a really just a very fascinating story that I saw maybe an hour ago. I figured gotta share that story it's fantastic mm-hmm. of course it will set me behind on all the other stuff I wanted to talk about but uh, so goes life so um we're gonna all right let's uh last week's story portion um was Re'eh. This week is called Shoftim, or Judges. Last week was Re'eh, and the very first verse, a fascinating verse, and again, I was in a lot of places, a lot of synagogues, heard a lot of people talk, and a rabbi got up to talk. It was interesting. I don't think he was supposed to get up and talk, but he was a guest, and he liked it. So he got up the first day, and the second day, and the third day, and it was like he was taking over, and he was a guest, but he was very good. So the verse says in last week's Torah portion, C. now that word C which is actually in singular. So it's a command word, but it's in singular. So see that I'm giving to you, and that you is in plural. Again, in Hebrew, um, you could be singular, you could be plural, and um, it, you don't have to guess. It's very clear in the Hebrew grammar of the, of the letters used, if it's a singular word or a plural word. So see you singular, that I, God, am putting before you plural blessing and curses. So the famous question is in the same verse, you don't say you singular, you plural. It's just too complicated and it's the wrong grammar. So this rabbi explained fascinating. He said, he said like this He says, you, the individual, need to know that you as an individual are important. And not only are you important, but you as an individual will affect the group, the community. Don't think that what your actions don't have too much of an effect. There's no cause and effect. Who cares about me? I'm not so important. Nobody cares. Not true. You, the individual, are very important. And you, the individual, will will create, whether it be blessing, whether it be curse, because that's the end of the verse, not only for yourself, but for the community at large. And we see that in a few places. It says... um, we say Friday evening in one of the prayers we we say a a piece of Talmud that says that that Torah scholars create peace in the global world. How do they create peace in the global world? because they're doing what God wants they're studying God's Torah and they're individuals studying god's Torah creates throughout the world that God says, there won't be fighting here, there won't be killing here, there won't be earthquakes over here, which always troubles me. That means mm. when there's an earthquake, I'm thinking, uh, can't believe I wasn't studying. If you would have been studying, maybe no earthquake. It's a little you know, philosophical, so you have to think about it. Um, but the important place where this concept takes place is really the upcoming holiday. We are actually... Less than a month away from Rosh Hashanah, when we get to the holy days in the Jewish calendar, and everybody knows one of the symbols of Rosh Hashanah is the scales, because um, as an individual and as a world, our 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 good deeds and our bad deeds are on a scale. If the good deeds win, so things will be good. The bad deeds win, not so good. So so we always explain to people on a, on a global level. The world is judged globally and people are judged as individuals. So you have your attitude has to be when you're about to do anything, be it good, be it not so good, the world is hanging in the balance. It's a very interesting way of looking at life. If, if you knew when you made a decision that others were affected, you would probably make a better decision. Right? In other words, as long as I can think, eh, it doesn't matter, nobody cares, God doesn't care, you think God cares about me, he doesn't need me, he doesn't need my good deeds, he doesn't care about my bad deeds, that's really incorrect, because your good deeds not only affect you, but they even affect the whole world. So that was just a beautiful thought uh, that I heard last week, and even though it was last week's Torah portion, but you don't care, because since it's such a nice uh, thought, I could say it this week anyways. Okay, good. All good. So let's get into many fascinating things in this week's Torah portion, as many as I'm going to manage to get uh, to get into. So in this week's Torah portion, it talks about kings. Now, interesting enough, uh, you know, LinkedIn works for me better. Um, almost any phone interview we've had so far, my wife not including, uh, not in studio. I think in studio we're all friends that I've had, but. Any of my phone call interviews over the last couple of months are all connections on LinkedIn. People send me a message, "Would you like to interview me? Would you like to read my book? Would you like to do this? Would you like to do that?" And we have conversations, we talk, we find out who, who each other is. And we, we have, and I've, we've had some of these really amazing, wonderful interviews. So um, somebody sent me a book. When I can interview him, I, I sent him back. I said, uh, we don't really speak the same language. We're, we're not a good fit, but I appreciated that he sent me his book. I offered to send it back. I think he wants me to keep it and read it. So in his book, he writes that the reason people want kings is like a laziness. They 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 want kings so they don't have to be responsible. They don't have to do anything. And if I would have him here, which I am not, um, I would have told him that that's not the purpose of a jewish king the the jewish king who is leading the nation it's true and really for the first 360 and change years there weren't kings and there goes my music so You're going to hold on for a few minutes. We're going to talk about the real purpose of kings, how he becomes a king, what he has to do as a king, what his responsibility, what we learn from the king. But in any case, hold on through the break. I am Rabbi Tzvi. You're listening to Let's Talk Torah, New Radio Media, and we'll be right back.
0: Maple Lane Golf Club is a 54-hole golfing treasure located in the heart of Sterling Heights. Maple Lane Golf Club offers immaculate greens, a top-flight pro shop, and inexpensive green fees. For convenience, book your tee time online at maplelanegolf.com. Come out and enjoy a great golf experience. Try our 9 and Dine special, 9 Holes of Golf, and enjoy food and refreshments in the Clubhouse Bistro. That's Maple Lane Golf Club in Sterling Heights. Check us out at maplelanegolf.com.
1: NewRadioMedia.com. Call Buzz Van Houten at 248-939-9999 for more information.
0: Working for new year's tires, kind of how I've been living.
1: Feeling all a little deflated.
0: of a Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtle. Guess what? The only thing we can get down here in the sewer is Skatetainment Weekly
1: on new radio media. Turtle power! And we're back! Thank you for holding through the break. Again, if you want to try to reach us, that's 844-999-9249. Or my email address, letstalktorah, at gmail.com. So we're talking about kings. So so let's take it slow. First of all, to become a king, you needed a prophet to actually come and anoint you. And it was a special oil was anointed with that we're not going to get into now. But to become a king, the prophet, and it was Samuel, that great prophet, anointed King Saul, and then he anointed King David. Once its children are ready, that's debatable if they have to be anointed or not. Um, so, and even when the, there was a break-off between the ten tribes and the tribe of Judah, so again, those each like family, like the father would be anointed, and it would carry on through his children, and then the next king would be anointed. Again, not all of them were anointed. That's not for now. So that means God already is is not allowing the people. This is not a democracy to let people vote who they would like to be king. This is God deciding who should be king. Now, there's interesting rules and regulations that a king has. So, for example, um, a king is going to walk around with a private Torah scroll that he's supposed to constantly study from. The king also has to have a Torah scroll in his treasury house to show the importance of Torah. So the first thing the king is doing that, that the Torah is commanding is, you better make real sure that you know what God wants. This is not what the king wants. This is what God wants. That's the king's job or one of his jobs. We'll see. Another job is to take them out to war. Um, another job is he's going to be the acting judge sort of to make sure overall the level of, here's a great word, religiosity, if there's such a word. I think there is. Or I made it up. Um, is, is where it belongs Um, that's, that becomes part of the king's job. Interesting, the Torah says three things a king can't have too many of. Can't have too many wives. Now, you laugh, um, the number is 18. So, we say he can't have too many. 18 is the limit. Okay, I'm good with one. Two would be, you know, frying pans on the head. One we can handle. So, he could have a lot of wives. He can't have a lot. So, not a lot is 18, um, over eighteen is a lot. Solomon, of course, um, we know had thousands of wives. And interesting enough, Solomon felt he was so smart; it was a good idea. And again, the uh, the it says in the well, not in the Five Books of Moses, but it says in the in the in the Torah it says that Solomon's wives turned his heart. That's in um, in, uh, uh, in 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 Samuel, I think, it's in Samuel one that it says that his wives turned his heart. I'm sorry, no, it's in Kings. My mistake. No, he's in Kings. Sorry about that. Anyways, so his wives turned his heart. He thought he was smarter than God on that one. And every time we try to pretend we're smarter than God, we don't do very well. So you can't have too many wives. Can't collect too much money. It's not the job of a king to fill his treasure houses with money. You need money to turn your government. You need money for your armies. No problem. But you can't just collect money so you have this humongous treasure house. And interesting enough, he can't collect a lot of horses. He can have enough horses for his army. He doesn't need to have a large standing army. But whatever he needs, he can have more than that done. So interesting enough, if you can't have a lot of wives and you can't have a lot of money and you can't have this stable of horses, so... Nachmanis explains it will teach a king to be humble. So if a king could be humble, so what about me? For sure. And I was when, when my friend who sent the book said that the purpose of a king is uh, so I can just uh, let the king do everything and I'm not responsible, that's not the purpose. We have to learn from a king. The first thing we learn from a king, not first, one of the things we learn from a king is the concept of being humble. The king can't have everything he wants. I for sure can't have everything I want. Interesting enough, almost more important, when I studied in Israel, so in the school I was in, there were people from around the world. South America, South Africa, England, France, Switzerland, Israel, of course, America. So um, I had some friends who were from England. So they said, you Americans. Everybody does that. You know, whatever country you're in, you Americans. Anyways, he says, you don't understand what it means to have a king. We in England, at least we have the queen. We have some feeling for the concept of a king. But what he meant to say was that when we have to look at God as being our king, and we have Rosh Hashanah coming, and the king is going to judge each and every one of us, if you don't have a concept of a king, and again, I told uh, my friend Craig who walked in here before from the Craig Folly show, I said he... he, um, he like, yeah. I told him we're gonna be talking about kings and prophets, and he immediately was ready to dive into today's politics. And I said, Craig, I'm not a pol- political guy. You know all the political stuff. Um, so, forgetting about that, we don't live with that concept. I, I remember in ninth grade um, when I when Jimmy Carter was president. I was in ninth grade, so there was some cute little song making fun of him, and my my teacher didn't like it. Why didn't he like it? It had nothing to do with politics. He didn't like it because he said the president is the highest office in America. If you make fun of your president, whoever he is, you like him, you don't like him, but to belittle him, to talk to him like he's your friend, to not show respect, it, it just it, it's, it, it, it affects everything. If I don't respect him, I respect no one, which uh, is a, a topic for another day. But the concept of respect is not one that's a strong one in America today because we don't respect the important people. If I don't respect important people, then I respect no one. And then I don't even respect myself. So my friend is trying to say, when there's a king, when you have a king, even though, of course, in England there's no power there, but at least you get a concept of feeling a little bit of what a king is supposed to be. And that's what the one of the purposes of having a king was that the king you learn to respect and fear the king. If this is how I act towards a human king, imagine what my attitude has to be to a to a to a, a god to to Hashem who's king. That, in other words, if I don't have a king to learn from in this world, so then I, I don't I don't re- relate a lot of times. That how I'm supposed to think of God or I'm supposed to fear God. So, so another purpose of a king is to actually learn fear of heaven. And that's something we can learn from kings. Again, when there were righteous kings, it was the best. When there were wicked kings, of course, it was terrible. So you get some good ones, you get some bad ones. But God felt, feels, knows that really to run a country, king is best. It's not political, but again, it has to be somebody righteous. God's picking the king, and the king has to remain righteous. If he doesn't remain righteous, okay, so you, so it doesn't work, right? In other words, he picked a king that had the ability to be that perfect king, like King David, King Solomon. Um, those work. Some along the lines were better. Some along the lines were not so good. But that's really, for people, that's the way it's supposed to be. That's how the Torah wanted it. On a side note, is it is interesting. The language in the Torah is, you're going to say, I want a king like all the other nations surrounding me. I want to be like all the other nations. Now, that's really the wrong attitude. So why does the Torah say it that way? I don't want a king like other nations, maybe like my, my friend's book, that the purpose of a king is so I could, like, uh, let somebody else be responsible. What The Nachmanis explains... It was like a prophecy. God says it's the time will come that you're going to say we want a king like everybody else. Because you have to remember, the first 360 change years in the land of Israel, we did not have a king. We had what was called the judges, like uh, Jeff was telling me outside, like uh, Deborah or Deborah was a was a judge, or like Samson. These were individuals. They may have been a little bit like a king, but for the most part, when the level of uh, of service to God lowered, there was idol worship in Israel, then there'd be attacking nations, would attack us, then the judge would come and he would create an army and they'd go attack back and we'd have peace in the land again. But there was really no king for about 360, in my mind, 367 years from when we entered the land of Israel till we asked for a king. The way we asked was inappropriate. We shouldn't have said we want a king like everybody else. We should say, God, you gave us a command. When we come to the land of Israel, we should have a king. And there are certain things that a king can do and others can't do. That's what should have happened. Uh, but instead, we, our attitude was wrong. We said, like all the other nations. But not that that's what it was supposed to be. That's just what God knew was going to happen. And that was the prophecy. So I see all kinds of nods going on. Does that mean I have a minute? Two minutes. Cool, two minutes, I can get to my next topic. Um, so, you know, I'm going to tell you a story quick. I saw this uh, the other day. Um, the idea of the king with, with Torah scrolls is because the book of the Torah is the rules and regulations. And God says to the king, as smart as you are, as talented as you are, you got to do things the way I tell you to do them. You don't get to make up the rules. You don't get to change the rules. And there was a rabbi. He's not alive anymore. His name was Rabbi Huttner. And he had a great parable. His parable was, if you ever get dressed in the morning, not like Ben, but like me, you know, a nice button-down shirt. So sometimes you see it with kids. So if you start the button in the wrong place and you move your way up, all of a sudden you get to the top of your shirt and you realize you're missing a buttonhole because you're off... You're you're off, or you're missing a button because it went off. So you have to take the whole shirt apart and start again. So that, this Rev Hutner said, that's what happens when a person makes his own rules instead of going by the rules of the Torah. As soon as you change one rule or one concept, so now comes tomorrow, you got a different problem. You're going to change something else. And then that's going to lead to changing a third and a fourth, and it's like the shirt. And you keep buttoning it up, and as you button it up, you realize it's not working. And there's my music. So therefore, we're going to end our conversation on kings. We're going to try to get into witnesses. We're going to get into some trending news, some really interesting stuff. So stay tuned. We're going to be back in a couple minutes. You're listening to Rabbi Tzvi on Let's Talk Torah on New Radio Media. And I'll be right back.
0: Plus,
2: the latest LiftMaster garage door openers and the toughest retractable screens on the market. All by the push of a button, Tarno Doors is celebrating its 50th year anniversary and is the recipient of the 2016 Subcontractor of the Year from the Home Builders Association.
0: Tarno, no stores.
2: Tarno, no stores. Hi, I'm Art, and we're the crew at Tuffy Walled Lake. We've been in Walled Lake for 20 years. And through our knowledgeable staff and customer satisfaction we become quite the cornerstone in our community and to our discerning customers statewide. We know how important your vehicle is to you and we take pride in our impeccable affordable service and we're trying to get you back on the road as quickly and safely as we possibly can.
0: Please stop in and see why everybody comes from all over to get their car serviced at 784 North Pontiac Trail in Waldlake. Lake.
2: Looking for new year's
0: As a business owner, you're always looking to save money and cut costs where you can. And if you advertise on radio or television, you know it can get pretty pricey. If radio and TV aren't delivering like they promised, and you're looking for a more reasonably priced way to get your message to the masses, i got an answer for you. New radio media. With live streaming and on-demand programming, your message can be seen throughout the day and you can worry a little less about cutting those costs. For more information, go to newradiomedia.com or call Buzz Van Houten at 248-939-9999.
1: And we're back. And we've talked about kings. I have lots of stuff to talk about. I'm going to skip around. I want to get into my trending news first. But before I get into my trending news... um, talking about judges, also in this Torah portion, we talk about judges, and we talk about the concept of witnesses. In other words, as far as the Torah is concerned, if you want to prove somebody guilty, was, there's no such thing as saying, I know in America we say all the time, you're innocent until proven guilty, except once it goes out online, or on the internet, or Instagram, or whatever else it goes out on, it doesn't matter to people that innocent until proven guilty, But in the Torah, it's really innocent until proven guilty. What does that mean? If someone's committed a crime, so we don't have detectives go around, you really need witnesses. You need witnesses to come forth and say, we saw this person do this crime or do that crime or do this murder or stole, but that's not good enough. The witnesses are going to actually be grilled by the judges, not by the defense attorney, not by the prosecutor. You don't get to decide not to have a witness come up or decide that uh, the prosecutor hasn't done his job so I don't have to bother putting up a good defense, like this week's news. Um, In the Torah law, you have a small court. It's three rabbis, a a court for capital punishment is 23, um, sometimes 71, and, and those courts are great rabbis, great minds. They're not getting fooled by somebody who doesn't have the knowledge. And they're going to grill these witnesses. And the witnesses need to know lots of information. And when the witness starts to say, I don't know this or I don't know that, certain things, of a witness says, is worthless. For example, the way to make sure, interesting enough, that a witness tells the truth, yes, I know there's perjury, I'm not sure if they actually do anything if a witness purges himself nowadays or if the defense attorney proves that he's not being uh, honest. Okay, so the defense attorney proved that he's a worthless witness, we get rid of him. In Dora Law, when a witness comes in, he has to be very clear on the time and place. But very clear, like within minutes... Hours, day, what what minute, what hour, what day, week, month, year, place. Why is all that so important for the witness? Because if somebody's going to come to court and say to the court, that witness couldn't have been there when he said he was because he was with me in another location at that time and place. In which case, whatever the witness was trying to have done to the uh To the uh, person on trial, um, I I don't want to say litigant, um, is going to happen to that witness. So, for example, um, the witnesses come in and say that uh, Ruvain stole from Shimon. And two more witnesses come in and say, these guys were with us at the time they claim. So whatever money they were trying to get Ruvain to pay to Shimon, they're going to now pay to Ruvain. So there's a cost If you're lying, now again, it has to be the only lying that 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 consequence comes from is you weren't in the area. If there's just an argument, if the story took place, that punishment doesn't happen. So so the witnesses know that if they're not going to be very clear and honest, it could come back to haunt them. So they're going to be careful. So everything really in the Torah law depends on witnesses. Not on cameras, not on sound, not on, I don't, I think it's debatable what they would do with DNA. The rabbis have talked about it. But simply a video would not be good enough testimony in a a Torah court, to my knowledge, to certainly give somebody a death penalty. So I thought it was fascinating, because that's really trending news this week. So there's this thing, Ben, I don't know if you ever heard of this, called deep fakes. You ever heard of this? Deep fakes? Yeah, that's what it's called. Anyways, this deep fakes um, puts people's faces on on other bodies. Yeah. Online. So um, there's all kinds of stories about this where they can... Okay, this is a, a family show. We're not going to get into all the stories. But they put famous people on other bodies, making them look like they're doing horrible things. Well, that's why... You can't fully rely on video because who says it's true? And not only that, I was doing more reading. So there were some movies, I'm sure you know them better than I, where in the middle of the movie, the actor died. Before the movie, the actor died. Mm -hmm. So if one of your main characters is dead, so what do you do? So it seems digitally they can take the guy's face from the old movie, probably all the times he said certain words, Mm -hmm. and put it on a new body. And as far as the audience is concerned, it's the same guy. They did it with Carrie Fisher. They did it with uh, Peter Cushing. Oh, those are the two I have written down over here. Yeah. I actually, mean... same movie, but yeah. Oh, that's the same movie? Yeah. Okay, fine. You can tell what I know. <laughs> yeah. There was another one I, that, with a car thing, with uh, a oh, racing car thing. Uh, yes. Uh, I have it written down here somewhere. Whatever it was. What's his name? Um, um, I don't know. It was from movie, a uh, Fast and Furious movie. Right, right. Yeah. Uh Oh. Paul Walker. That's correct. See, I have his name written down right here. Anyways, so the fact that you see that a person, that we can take a person's face and move it onto another body, means there's not very much value in testimony from video. So Craig was here and Ben was telling me, yeah, but, but the forensically they can tell if things were changed. I said, that's great. The truth is, a thousand years ago, they didn't have video cameras when the Torah was being written. But who's to say in ten years from now or ten months from now that they can't make the videos even better? And I was, not only that—that's my second piece of trending news. So this is about two Instagram. Um, I don't know what you call it, Instagram. If you have a thing on Instagram, what do you call that? Your page, Instagram it's a, it's page, Instagram. Uh, you could do uh, your stream, your story, whatever. Instagram account, yeah. your account. Oh, your yeah, Instagram sure, account. Yeah. So there's two names here. There was this lady. By the name of, you think I have it written down over here. Here we go. Her name is Shudu. I'm sure I'm pronouncing it wrong. She had like 130,000 Instagram followers. She was like the most beautiful woman in the world, a- except she was completely digital. There was no such person. Mm-hmm. So finally, after you know a year or whatever it was of playing with this Instagram page, they told everybody, this lady that you think is so beautiful, mm-hmm. she's not even real. And then there's another one. I think she had like over a million. Her name was Lil McCula, if I'm pronouncing it right. Same concept, not a real person, just digital. Mm -hmm. So it is amazing what you can do nowadays digitally at the same time. That's why the Torah says you want to judge, you're going to have to have witnesses. And the witnesses will be punished if if we're going to catch them um, lying. Now, the only real lie that counts will be, um, if they weren't where they say they were, and they'll be punished for it. So um, so now people always will say, Well, the criminals are gonna run run wild, what's it gonna be? I'm not saying how it would work in a modern world. But in the Torah's world, um, God tells the judges, you do your job. If you do your job, God says, I'll take care of the rest. It's true in the seven Noahide laws, there's a concept of judges and they have to have policemen and keep the peace and make sure the society can exist. How will they prove and not prove is a good question. And I don't have a good answer how God wanted the world to do it. He's just talking in the Torah world what, what a Jewish court would be responsible to do. Now I have one more piece of trending news. Somebody sent this to me in, uh, on a Facebook page. So, uh, Tony, you got those other two pictures? Okay, so we're going to have to do some explaining first. There is a concept called a Shabbos guy." And if you look at the T-shirt of that person in my pictures, he has in the front, it says Shabbos Goy. A Shabbos guy basically means that on the Sabbath, there's a lot of things I'm not allowed to do. I can't do any type of creative work, electricity, heat, fire, sewing, writing, any of these types of things. So, But it happens, you know, the lights go off. Air conditioning shut down. Heat wasn't set properly. There are things that you can ask a person who's not Jewish to come in and do. The problem is, now if you look at the other t-shirt of the man standing there, um, he actually explains. It's like very funny. So I wrote it down. He says, forgot to set your lights or AC? Anything muksa. Don't worry about that word. Muksa just means things that we don't touch on the Sabbath. I'm here to help. Just don't tell me because you can't actually tell Non Jew, what to do? He has to know on his own or by a hint, right? I know what to do. So, in other words, this person um, has taken on as a business, um, I guess, to be a what he calls a Shabbos guy to help people, to help Jewish Orthodox Jewish people when they get stuck. So, as I was doing my research on this, it's really quite fascinating. There were some very famous Shabbos guys, if that's a word, um, that you may have heard of. Colin Powell. Uh, General Colin Powell was famous um, in his neighborhood in New York where he grew up. When he went to visit, when Colin Powell went to visit uh, Yitzhak Shamir in Israel, so he speaks to Yitzhak Shamir in Yiddish. Yiddish is basically a German language that's been Hebraicized, Hebraized, whatever. had Hebrew words in it. They messed up the grammar. And Yiddish is a Jewish language from Europe. But he was in houses so often taking care of people, he picked up the lingo. So he goes to Yitzhak Shemir, we can talk in Yiddish. Don't right. worry if your English is not so good. <laughs> um, he's one Jay Leno, actually was a Shabbos guy. Uh, Governor Mario Cuomo uh, from New York was a Shabbos guy. Now this one, it, you can take it or leave it. Uh, my research says Elvis, if there were Jews in Tennessee uh, or wherever he lived. Um, Tennessee? Yeah. Kentucky? Whatever. T- Tennessee. Tennessee. Yeah. So, supposedly he was also. I even saw that there's a store in Queens that had a sign. If you need any help, uh, you know, on Shabbos, where are you? Shabbos, go, you come in. These guys were in, a, in an Orthodox neighborhood. Uh, they weren't Jewish. People came in. They would go to their home, fix lights, air conditioning, heating, whatever needed to be done. And after the Sabbath, some people brought him a tip. Maybe some didn't. But it was just a friendliness that they had in the neighborhood. So, I just thought this was a very cute um, piece that I received on my Facebook page. If you would like to send me um, these types of things to my Facebook page, to my LinkedIn message, to my Let's Talk Toro, if it looks like it's interesting enough, I will gladly, gladly. It's still up there. Good. Oh, my pictures are gone. Okay, I thought you wanted something. Oh, no, 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 we're good. We're good. We're good. Okay, so with my two and a half minutes left, barely, mm-hmm. um, let's get into one more thing. Why not about about profits? So the the Torah in this week's portion talks about prophets and says, when a prophet says he's telling you something from God, you have to listen. You must listen to the prophet. Now, by the way, um, there were periods in the first temple where there were over a million prophets. That means God was speaking to a lot of people. Now, he didn't speak to anybody. You had to actually go to a special school. You had to take care of being very holy and very studious, and there were rules and regulations after you were a great Torah scholar, then you could first start working in these schools to become a prophet. Now, written-down prophecy, there were only 48 written-down prophecies. Those were applicable to the Jewish people for then and even for today. But, of course, the Torah itself asks the important question, and that is, Um, how do we know the prophet's telling us the truth? Maybe he's lying to us. How are we supposed to know? He says he's a prophet. So first of all, you need to know, we're only dealing with people, probably went to these kinds of schools. We knew they're great religious people, they're great rabbis, they're great Talmudic scholars, they're holy people. Um, And still, that's not enough. The Torah says, if you ask for a sign, they have to give you a sign, some type of miracle, and the miracle has to take place. And interesting enough, if the prophet tells you, to do something that God says you're not allowed to do, for example, idol worship, or to not do one of the commands or many of the commands, that prophet is a false prophet and he actually incurs a death penalty. So this got me a little into prophets. We'll see how much time we have left when we come back. When we come back, we're going to be joined by Rabbi and Goldson of Ethical Imperatives with his under two-minute thought. So hold on through the break, and we'll be right back. You're listening to Drive Bites on Let's Talk Toro on New Radio Media, and we'll be right back.
0: Maple Lane Golf Club is a 54-hole golfing treasure located in the heart of Sterling Heights. Maple Lane Golf Club offers immaculate greens, a top-flight pro shop, and inexpensive green fees. For convenience, book your tee time online at maplelanegolf.com. Come out and enjoy a great golf experience. Try our 9 & Dine special nine holes of golf, and enjoy food and refreshments in the Clubhouse Bistro. That's Maple Lane Golf Club in Sterling Heights. Check us out at maplelanegolf.com.
2: At Murray's Part City, we're known for offering customer service you won't get in any chain store or online. But don't take it from me, just listen to what our customers have to say.
0: The employees at Murray's are knowledgeable, courteous.
2: They make you feel like you're at home.
0: Pick up a can of Seafoam Fuel System Treatment for only 6 dollars or a 5-quart container of Mobile One Motor Oil for just $28.95. Murray's Parts City and Pontiac Trail at Maple Road in Wald Lake.
2: We've got the parts you need when you need them. A study from Johns Hopkins researchers indicates a high-fat diet may lead to the development of new nerve cells in your brain that influence how much you eat, but it's also been known for decades that the brain continues to form new nerve cells well into adulthood. So for now it appears the process occurs not only in the parts of your brain associated with memory and a sense of smell, but also in the ones that control your various body functions including hunger and thirst. One researcher believes that your brain functions this way as part of your body's survival mechanism. When food is abundant, it generates cells that will make you eat more and make you store excess calories as fat for use when food is not readily available. But the problem with humans, particularly those in developed countries, is that food is almost always readily available. So the more you eat, the more fat you store and the greater becomes your appetite. With another Prescription for Your Health, I'm Dr. Jim Bragman.
1: And we're back. So we're getting through as much as we could on this week's Torah portion. But as, as always, at this time of the show, we are joined by Rabbi Yonason Goldson. Yonason, how are you? I am very good, Rizvi. How are you? Great. Looking forward. You ready? I'm ready. The clock is ticking. Go for it.
2: If you follow the news, you know that Northern California is being ravaged by the worst forest fires in history. But Southern California is having its own problems. Many communities are being attacked by an epidemic of scooters. It started off as a good idea to improve traffic, transportation, and pollution problems by providing cheap scooters that anyone can pick up, swipe an ID code, and write off on and leave behind when they reach their destination. In practice, it's been a nightmare. Riders disregard traffic laws, cut in front of cars, terrorize pedestrians, and discard their scooters wherever they want, creating eyesores and turning sidewalks into obstacle courses. The pickup and drop-off scooters seem to encourage users to lose all concern for how their actions affect those around them. In this week's tour portion, we learn that judges and law enforcement officials are necessary to preserve social order. But really, the rule of law is there to remind us that we need to be responsible for ourselves, to police our own behavior, and to remember that society is made up of individuals. Law enforcement can't protect us unless we agree collectively to abide by the rule of law. And law enforcement can never protect us from ourselves. That's why the Torah teaches not only what we are and are not allowed to do, but guides us now to transform ourselves into people who make the world a better place to live.
1: Excellent. Yonason, I appreciate it. That was Rabbi Yonason Goldson. And I hope you'll join us next week to check in with Rabbi Yonason Goldson. Yonason, have a great Shabbos. And
2: a good Shabbos to you,
1: too. Okay, be well. So, you know, what he was speaking about, um, timely as always, short and sweet to the point, you know, he's getting really good. I I, I officially told him he only has permission for two minutes. He's got it like to a minute and a half. That is fantastic. Wait till I tell him he gets a minute. Anyways, Tony, you ready for my letter of the week? Okay, we're up to our eighth letter, the letter Chet, or the letter Ches. Um, I guess it looks like a a C turned sideways, more boxy, just missing that one part. Um, This one, of course, in the Torah scroll, is made up of last week's letter doubled. So if last week was Zion... So the Zion, we take two of those Zayins, we draw a roof connecting them, and voila, we have the letter Ches. It's the eighth letter of the Hebrew alphabet, and one of the more difficult letters to pronounce. That Ch sound is difficult because in English there is no Ch sound. Now there's chain and words like that, but really that idea of a Ch doesn't really exist, and therefore it becomes quite difficult unless you were raised to pronounce that letter. Uh, It could be learned like anything else. So I have a great word as I am sitting here in this warm, toasty studio. And that word is cham. Cham means warm or heat. What we've been going through, which again, I'm not complaining. I would much rather go to an amusement park or sit by a pool in 90-plus degree weather with humidity than... uh, be outside where it's cold and rainy in the 30s, you know, because I can't swim and I can't sit out in the sun. So don't get me wrong. The heat is a good thing, but it's hot. Now, as an interesting fact, um, there's an interesting word in Israel. Um, for a heat wave, I believe the word they use is hamsin. sin is actually an Arabic word. But it's an Arabic word that means sin. This Arabic word means um, heat wave. Some claim it's from the word 50, because there's 50 a year. I have no idea if that's true. That's what somebody told me very, very long ago. So, as a thanks to one of our old, um, earlier guests, Baruch C. Cohen from L.A., um, he sent out on his Facebook a great story. So if I can get through this story, um, it's a good lesson, even though it has nothing to do with the letter Ches. And the story goes like this. There was a great rabbi by the name of Moses Feinstein, he was uh, certainly, he was he passed away around 96 or 97, he was older, and a, uh, a grandchild, a great-grandchild was born. So he's not a young man anymore. And someone by the circumcision says to this Rabbi Feinstein, I give you a blessing, you should dance by this child's wedding. Now, it's a great-grandchild, not getting married for the next, I don't know, 25 plus years, So you want this Rabbi Feinstein to be about 120, 115. Sounds a little strange to be even able to focus and be able to dance at anybody's wedding. Rabbi Feinstein immediately answered, Amen. And somebody went over to Rabbi Feinstein afterwards and says, come on. You know you're not living to 120. Why even bother answering Amen to this blessing which really doesn't seem to have any value? So I Feinstein said right away, he said, first of all, who said it can't happen? First of all, the Messiah could come. And second of all, you need to know like this. Whenever a blessing is given, you always say Amen. We, all, we we need to put value, like we started at the beginning of the show. We have to put value on on the individual. The individual gives a blessing. Why can't that blessing come true? We have to go ahead and 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 acclimate ourselves, get used to the fact, give blessings, be gracious in accepting blessings, say amen, because the the amen gives power to the blessing. If we recognized the, the power, it's really what we started the show with. If we all understood how important the effect, the cause and effect that each individual person does, so we would look at ourselves certainly in a much greater light. We would become greater people automatically because we'd feel good about ourselves, and I feel good about myself, except my time is now running out. So, with my last few seconds, thank you to our wonderful sponsors and listeners. I couldn't do without you. Thank you to my wonderful production team, Tony, Ben, Angel by the Phones. I hope I've left you with some food for thought. Until next week, I'm Rabbi C. Jacobson. You've been listening to Let's Talk Torah on New Radio Media, and until next week, don't forget to think about it.